0: And a good Sunday morning to you. Welcome again to Healthy Matters, presented every Sunday morning by Hennepin County Medical Center. 7.30 is the time, and that's central time. Dr. David Hilden is your host. Good morning. Good morning, Denny. You have a good week, busy week, I presume.
1: I did have a good week. It has been busy. Um, it's been kind of, uh, to, be, to be honest, kind of nice that the big football game people are out of town. Now, that was fun while it lasted, yeah. but eh, it's good. That Most that's people feel kind of that way. Yeah. Now we're back to flu. A lot of it. (laughs) There's a lot of flu. You know, this show is not about influenza, but that's been sort of the story in healthcare um, this past uh, well since mid December, and it's Mm -hmm. it's carrying on. It's still the flu season. So, if you want to know more about that, go to myhealthymatters.org because we're not going to talk about it today.
0: Now, this is a a big, mighty big topic uh, that we're going to talk about today. And again, we'll always invite our listeners to join in either by phone or by text. In fact, before I introduce you, you introduce your guest. Let me give the phone number and the text number six five one. Nine eight nine nine two two six, or send a text eight
1: one eight zero seven. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about depression today and mood disorders, but primarily depression. Um, I have a repeat guest on, Dr. Eduardo Colon is our Chief of Psychiatry at HCMC. That means he runs a large department, a very large department of of mental health services, and I'm going to ask him to tell us a little bit more about that range of services. But um, he's been on the show. It's been over a year now since doctor clone Colon's been on. So welcome back, Eduardo. Good to have you. Nice to be back. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about your role at, at Hennepin. We're going to talk about depression for listeners, so we're going to want to talk to you about that specific thing, but a little bit ab- about the Department of Psychiatry. You run a department that has inpatient, outpatient, day treatment. You do all of that. Could you just tell us a little bit more about the kind of the range of things you do um, in psychiatry? Sure. I'm the chief of a large psychiatry
2: department, which means I get a lot of credit for the good work that everybody else does. Uh, we have a whole range of services, starting from emergency services in the emergency room, what we call APS, Acute Psychiatric Services, which is a big um, way to access services for acutely ill people. Uh, I, for a number of years, ran the Psychiatric Consultation Service, so that means those patients or anybody else in the hospital who has Any type of mental health issue gets seen while they're in the medical or surgical floors, including trauma patients. We have an inpatient unit that uh, has 90-some beds, uh, fairly, very active. We have outpatient services that include regular outpatient clinic for adults. We have a clinic for children. We have day treatment partial hospital program. We have an intensive outpatient program for uh, dialectical behavioral therapy as well as a mother-baby program. Um, and I'm sure I'm missing
1: somebody. That's a lot. That's range. the full range. That's, you know, of services in a variety of locations and venues and some specialties. How did you get into psychiatry?
2: What, what drew you to the field? You know, somewhere along the line when I was doing, um, when I was in medical school, I thought I wanted to be an internist.
1: And- oh. That's it. Listeners, that's what I am. I'm an internist. So Dr. Cologne went bad somehow, I'm telling you. Yes. <laughs> Where was medical school for you? In Puerto Rico. Yeah, I went to in, in, Puerto your, Rico. in your home, uh, uh, Puerto Rico.
2: Yes. And while I was in medical school, I uh, did a couple of rotations, one with a pediatrician who was also a psychiatrist, and that was a pretty uh, involved experience for me. I had the opportunity to work with some cancer patients who appeared to be dying uh, this is around the era of the interest in death and dying with Kubler-Ross. And my own personal experience with, uh, family members going through chronic medical illness, um, and dying, uh, brought my attention to the, to the emotional aspect, the, uh, mental health problems, uh, that go along with, uh, with medical illness. So at some point I decided I would do psychiatry. It's also the, the surge of interest in the physiology of brain function. And this seemed like a wonderful, A wonderful uh, mystery to explore. And along the lines, then I became a a consultation psychiatrist, which means as in the beginning, I became mostly interested in the coexistence of medical problems with psychiatric
1: disorders and how they influence each other. I've known Dr. Clone's work in that area since my training. Literally, the first day of my training, Dr. Clone was um, running the consultative service in psychiatry at HCMC. And um, that was a few years back, um, at least for me. And now he's running the Department of Psychiatry. And we're going to shift and we're going to talk about depression. Specifically, that's going to be our topic for today. Um, Maybe you could start us off, Dr. Colon. Tell us how common is depression. Depression is a very serious condition. And unfortunately,
2: it's very common. There's a number of different estimates. And you could talk about which Methods are used to ascertain that. But we argue that in general around 60 million people get affected by depression. The usual uh, percentage is 7 to 8% of people have suffered from an episode of depression at some point in their lives. Uh, The majority of – some of the depressive episodes are a single episode. For a large number of people, they are repeating episodes. So it's a problem that
1: can occur through the spectrum of life. We use the word depression. Um, I seem to remember a lot of people using the word clinical depression and there's a lot of terms that get thrown out. How do I know if I am having a bad day, week or month or if I have a medical condition or is there no distinction? In other words, how does a person know if you have something that that is a problem that needs attention?
2: Yeah. So there, there's there been a lot of attempts. Every time there is a diagnostic manual, there's an attempt to redefine criteria. And essentially, it is an exercise in trying to separate out what is clinically serious, significant depression. Uh, William styron I may mis- mispronounce his name, is an author who suffered from depression. And he argues that the word depression is a wimp of a word. Mm. Uh, it's a word that's overused. So we all feel sad. We yeah. all have moments when we're frustrated, when we don't get what we want, or we go through a brief period of time when we're just not up to par. So how do you separate that from a clinical depression? Uh has to do, I, I would argue, that the practical um, implication is how severe is it, how much does it impair you, and, and how serious is it in terms of your day-to-day functioning. So we utilize a number of criteria to look at the picture of depression, which may, mainly means we look at all the symptoms that go along with it. It's not about feeling sad. Obviously, people with depression can feel down,
1: can feel very profoundly sad. Isn't that kind of the, the major point of it is that you feel sad?
2: Yeah, you feel sad, but it is not necessarily normal sadness. Mm-hmm. People with depression have a lot of negative thinking. Uh, they uh, have a number of physical and emotional symptoms. They have difficulty getting to sleep, staying asleep, waking up in the middle of the night and spinning their wheels incessantly. Uh, they lose their capacity to enjoy the world around them. And that's a very problematic issue I always explore. What keeps you going? What do you look forward to? People with depression don't look forward to many of the things that they use to find pleasurable. Your appetite, and I mean appetite in terms of your brain
1: function in general, gets lost. You don't look forward to going to the movies. You don't want to eat. And these are things to... that formerly would have felt good to you. Good to you. Things right? you wanted to do. So generally, they represent a huge change. Uh, along with that comes feelings of hopelessness.
2: Nothing will ever be better than I mentioned the negative cognitions that go with it and in this worst extreme, people can have thoughts that uh, they don 't want to carry on anymore
1: so people who experience this um, is it worse at 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 certain times of year and the the reason I bring that up is that we 're in the throes of a pretty cold winter here in Minnesota, and you hear about seasonal affective disorder, which is kind of conveniently got this acronym sad. Is, is that a, a real thing and um, is, is it just depression that comes in a certain season or could you maybe say more about that?
2: Sure. I think there is um, – uh, the seasonal affective disorder designation relates to a subgroup of depression where people become uh, dysphoric mostly around fall. There is some description of other cyclical changes through the year. But we talk about mostly in the fall uh, when people have a number of the symptoms of depression that I mentioned and they can be severe of a clinical nature. A lot of people experience mild symptoms of slowing down, et cetera, in the fall, kind of like you're hibernating somewhat, and that's not necessarily depression. People with major depression, which is the entity we're talking about, can have cyclical episodes. So you could have somebody who has depression and seem to get worse in the fall, but they're not limited to the fall. Everybody, we all assume spring comes, when we'll all feel great.
1: Yeah, there's butterflies out and the birds are chirping and the grass is growing. everywhere. Beautiful. delight light is out. And if you have
2: seasonal affective disorder, oftentimes that is the case. Uh, we see people with major depression who experience um, severe bout of depression in the spring, even though the world seems to be at its peak
1: in terms of its beauty. So we're going to talk more about some what are some of the treatments of depression, how would you know when you need to go see help. We're talking uh, about um, depression, mood disorders with psychiatrist Dr. Eduardo Colon. We'll welcome your texts and your calls. And um, I think it's probably time for a quick yeah, break. It is. Let's do that and invite again, like
0: you said, Doctor. Invite our listeners to join in on the convica- uh, conversation. Uh, two ways: you can call it in or text it in your question. Six five. We've cleared the lines, so they're all ready for you. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Send a text if you like at eight one eight zero seven. Right now, it's two degrees below zero here on eight three zero WCCO. Good morning. Welcome back to Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. We're talking about depression today. Welcoming your phone calls and text messages, 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. As you can see, doctor, we have a lot of those uh, text messages.
1: Indeed, we do. Um, Thank you, Denny. Thank you, everybody, for listening and for your already your many um, uh, texts and calls. We're going to get to them in just three or four minutes. I do want to ask you, uh, Eduardo, let's talk a little bit about treatments for depression before we get um, into our our listener calls and questions because they're going to be about very specific topics. Treatments. There's medications and there's non-medication things. Could you say a little bit about that? Sure. Uh,
2: There's a range of interventions for depression, ranging from a lot of taking care of yourself, exercise, reasonable, good, healthy diet, balanced diet, uh, yoga, uh, a number of these alternative interventions, to uh, psychotherapy, which includes uh, evidence-based therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy, interpersonal therapies. There's a number of types of therapies that have been shown to help with depression, especially mild to moderate depression. As a matter of fact, some of these treatments are as effective as antidepressants for mild to moderate depressions. They take a lot of time, take a lot of work and effort.
1: As it, opposed to more severe depression. Severe, correct.
2: Yeah. When people have more moderate to severe depression, then generally a lot of these interventions are helpful. I still encourage people to take care of themselves. But then we move into the realm of things like medications combined with the psychotherapy. Um, and the medications in general include the spectrum of antidepressant medications. Along with those, there's been an interest in the last 10 years in the addition of what we call augmentation, heighten the, the benefit of the antidepressant with other medications that were initially thought of as antipsychotic but are mood-stabilizing. And, of course, there's the question of balancing out all the potential side effects with the benefits. Uh, lithium has made a comeback as an augmentation strategy.
1: So augmentation in addition to the other things you're In addition to the other agents, combinations. Um,
2: and then there's um, options like uh, electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, uh, it's been. That's still a measures. thing? It's, it still gets used. It's a very effective treatment for severe depression, especially depression with psychotic symptoms. Um, there are other novel things. Transcranial magnetic stimulation is a modality that's floating around where basically, uh, people utilize, apply a magnet to your brain, a fairly, uh, significant, um, intervention recently for refractory depression. Mm. It requires people to come in every day for, uh, three to four weeks for a couple of hours. Uh, and that seems to help a small number of people who haven't responded to anything else.
1: Let's talk about the most severe um, um, uh, sort of risk, at least that I think of, is suicide. If we could just mention briefly, depression is a pretty big risk factor for suicide. Could you say more about that? That's right. Um, a number of uh, psychiatric disorders are contributors to
2: suicide. And one of the worst outcomes, obviously, and complications of suffering from severe depression and suicide. And that goes along with the uh, issues we talked about before, about feelings of hopelessness, not uh, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, thinking you'll never get better. And the loss of uh, connections with the rest of the world is one of the things we need to be very attentive to intervene.
1: Do treatments for depression reduce that risk?
2: So we, when we treat depression, we're hoping that the feeling of hopelessness goes away. Mm. There's a lot of um, attention to uh, Case reports and to the experience that some people, when they begin to get treated, may be at a higher risk. Some medications might make people feel more restless, more agitated. And I always tell patients if they're going to undergo pharmacotherapy treatment with medications for depression, if you feel worse in any way, you need to pick up the phone, call me, call your doctor, show up in the emergency room, and or stop the medication if you think that was directly linked with it.
1: If but, you're getting worse instead of better. Uh, absolutely. Can depression be treated by primary care doctors? Uh, or I guess the, another way of saying that: when should they come see? When should people come see a psychiatrist? So two ways around that. This is
2: one of my service, services provided by my my faculty that I failed to mention, uh, because there is such limited access to psychiatrists, unfortunately.
1: There's okay? not enough psychiatrists. There's not enough clinic visits.
2: That's right, and because there is such a stigma, people have a lot of concerns about seeing a psychiatrist. We've discovered that the majority of depression really gets treated in primary care. And there's been a lot of effort with primary care providers like yourself mm-hmm. in learning about depression, recognizing it, and beginning to offer treatments. We have psychologists and psychiatrists that consult to every, most every one of our outpatient, every one, uh, of our outpatient clinics uh, to assist doctors who have concerns about patients, to see patients on the spot, and, and to provide treatment because it's a lot more comfortable for people to see their regular doctor and get the depression treatment. That's not enough. If they're not getting better, if it starts to get more complicated, then it makes sense to
1: access specialty care, which, as you know, is a little bit more complicated for people. It is. There's a question that is sort of related to that about insurance, and I'm going to ask you. This came on the text line at Ordo. It says, is it better to seek treatment for depression without getting your insurance company involved? Why do you think the texter is asking that, and how do you respond to that? That's a very difficult question. I will tell you that that reflects – are uh, the concerns that we all have
2: about the stigma against mental illness that uh at some point we developed this hope that it's going away but it's still quite quite present and vibrant uh in the, the stigma o- is. Yes. Yeah. In the old days people were very concerned about pre-existing conditions that might uh keep you away from insurance and depression has been misused that way the label of depression in the past and I hope that's no longer the case. And people are worried about whether that would lead to discrimination in terms of jobs and in terms of life insurance, etc. Mm-hmm. And so it's a realistic concern. However, uh, my my argument is that this is a medical condition like any else. People should not be embarrassed to go in and get treated for urinary tract infection or for diabetes, which is just is a lifelong condition. Uh, and they should not be felt to be, uh, they should not feel ashamed to seek care for a condition that is as disabling. The WHO, uh, the World Health Organization actually lists depression internationally as one of the top three, uh, causes of disability, loss of function, et cetera.
1: Wow. Well, you know, yeah, that's a super good point. We don't tell the person with heart failure why, you know, we don't give them a hard time for going in and they have to go into the doctor many times a year. Or the person with diabetes or the person with asthma, depression is an, is a chronic condition.
2: Well, it gets perceived as a failure of Like suck it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Suck it up. What's wrong with you? And that's not the case. If you had a good, strong character, if you did the right things, if only you would do one, two, or three. And a lot of times it's something we all do because you want to be supportive. Say to people, you know, when I felt that way, this is what I did and this is what you should do. And a lot of times people who are depressed kind of perceive that or feel that as a criticism rather than as as a show of empathy. Mm.
0: Tell you what, we've got uh, some callers. I want to get Teresa's question answered. Maybe if we can't get an answer this time before the break, we'll carry it over. But, Teresa, good morning. Uh, what is your question, please?
2: Well, good morning to you all. Uh, yeah, my question has to do
1: with politics
2: because um, my sister and I are on very opposite uh, side of the, of, of the issues, and the reporting has been so negative. And um, when we get into discussions, it seems like that it can lead to such a depression and so negative responses. How can you handle that? Because this it's driving so many people besides myself and my sister.
1: And Thank- what can we do? Thank you, Teresa. I think that's a question that maybe a lot of people can relate to. What do you think, Dr. Colon? Yeah, it's a question I wish I could sort for myself. Uh, this
2: is a mm-hmm. very, very... Uh, timely topic. And I think, again, we go back to the question of the discomfort, the sadness, the breaking away from people you care about because of political uh, beliefs and because of political positions. So I don't think of that necessarily as uh, clinical depression. Uh, certainly when people are depressed, it's going to be a heck of a lot more difficult to deal with the isolation of not having family support. So in families where there's a lot of this strife, I think it is important for people to try and find common ground. What are the things that they care about? So rather than the details of the political scene, uh, what are the important things in terms of core values and the people they care about? And a lot of times if people can't find that, then they need to find their own way for a while and avoid this conflict. But I think we all have friends, relatives, and there are times when we just decide the political news of the day are not what we're going to focus on today because I I fear or I risk losing a very important relationship. But it becomes very edgy. I don't know that I have a, a very acceptable answer to that. I thought
1: that question. was well summarized yeah. though. I thought that was about the best uh, um, uh, response I've heard to a, a very common issue. We're going to take our top of the hour break yep. and then we're going to let listeners take us the whole rest of the way after that.
0: Very good. And we do have another half hour of the show to go. So if you missed the, the first half hour getting your questions asked – 651-989-9226. Nine, 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 two, two, There's a line open if you'd like to use it. Or uh, send us a text and we'll get back to that too. Uh, 81807. Right now in the Twin Cities winds southwest at five skies are fair. Our current Twin City temperature reading two below zero. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Internal Medicine Physician with Hennepin County Medical Center. With more Healthy Matters. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. Dr. David Hill is your host. He'll tell you the topic today, but as we uh, just before we do that, and I know you have a couple of other items, uh, let me give you the phone number, and we're talking about depression today. Welcoming your calls and text messages. 651-989-9226, or the text, if that's easier, 81807.
1: Thanks, Denny, and good morning, everybody. I hope you're having a good uh, February morning. We're talking to Dr. Eduardo Colon, the chief of the Department of Psychiatry at HCMC, where I hail from. Um, I'm going to do a couple of housekeeping things here before we get back into our topic, which is depression. We have lots of listener calls. We have some tweets about questions, so we're going to take your calls on the phone, so um, uh, feel free to join in to talk about depression. A couple of housekeeping things. First of all, if you've been listening over the past few months, you are well aware that HCMC is opening up uh Minnesota's state-of-the-art clinic and specialty center. It is at 8th and Park, right in between Park and Chicago, across the main campus, across the street from the main campus of HCMC. This is over 300,000 square feet, over 300 exam rooms. It has six operating rooms. It has um a cancer center. It has the new Wanzak Family Breast Imaging Center, which will be state-of-the-art Patient centered uh, breast care um, for your mammography and biopsies and, and the like. It's got the Delta Dental Clinic in there. It has a state of the art eye clinic, pediatrics, primary care, orthopedics, allergy. I could go on and on. It's six stories of beautiful um, facilities, but facilities are just one portion of healthcare. It's all those fantastic thousands of uh, Hennepin healthcare providers who are going to be um, seeing you there. It's got underground parking, it has a coffee shop, and you can see it. On March 17th is our community open house, open to the public. Um, that's coming up this March 17th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Mark your calendars, bring your family. Literally, this is going to be the region's premier health care facilities. There'll be some snacks, some refreshments. Bernie the dog will be there. So, you know, everything Everything you can want to see. If you want to see a clinic before it's got all the patients and all that. 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., March 17th, the new Clinic and Specialty Center. And if you want more information on that, go to hcmc.org slash open house. hcmc.org slash open house. The second bit of um, housekeeping, I did a uh, a blog post last week about little quick answers to some questions from last week's Open Line show and from previous Open Line shows. So some of you texted about influenza. One of you asked a question about angina, chest pain. Um, We have questions on there about blood pressure medicines, about protein in the urine. Um, If you were the person who texted in those questions or if you're just interested, go to myhealthymatters.org and you can read up about um, uh, my answers to those. That's MyHealthyMatters.org. And, of course, you can listen to podcasts of previous shows, including this show about depression. It'll be up on the website in the next day or two. So I encourage you to go to MyHealthyMatters.org org. If you um, if you go there in the coming week, you might get to see a couple of pictures and responses from Dr. Cologne. So I've taken pictures of him here in the oh dear. in the studio, and he's looking at me like you're going to put those on the internet. You're downright, Eduardo. Those are going on the internet. So let me reintroduce him, Dr. Eduardo Cologne, the chief of psychiatry. We're talking about depression again. Thanks for being on the show, Eduardo. My pleasure. Okay, let's hit the text line, and the I'm going to start out with one that came on the Twitter feed. And if you do want to send your question via Twitter, it's Dr. David Hilden. Here's one that's about social media, Doctor Cole. Let's see what you say about this one. Does social media and technology contribute to depression? And what? And if so, what changes need to be made? What about our use of social media in our moods? Oh, that's. Uh, I'm going to throw him for a loop on that
2: one. Yeah, you are going to throw me for a loop. So I will first claim I'm not an expert in that area, but I will speak to that. I, I think that the the uh, advantage of social media, of course, is that it can keep keep us all connected. Uh, The downside to it is that we all find that it takes up a lot of time and people can go down the rabbit hole in terms of getting stuck in certain themes and in certain ways of thinking. So does it contribute to clinical depression? It certainly contributes to emotional distress. It can isolate people and these are factors that might make it uh, more difficult for people to kind of see the other side. And if you're predisposed to social isolation – if you're no longer getting up and walking around and, and exercising uh, and doing the healthy things to sustain your good health, then it can be a real problem. To me, the question always is how much time are you spending? Uh, how, what does it take away from you? And when we look at maintenance of well-being in general, we know that social contact is very important unless you have a very rare and less common personality style that doesn't need the social re- um reinforcement. The problem is when you get all your reinforcement from a virtual community of people you don't touch and see and really don't relate to on a personal basis, then uh, you can actually end up with a lot of feelings of loneliness instead.
1: Good answer. Thank you. Let's go to the text line. Here's one that, um, uh, from a person who says, I lost my mom a couple years ago. How do I know if I am grief stricken or depression? Or can I have both? What can I do to move forward?
2: It's a terrific question. You know, one of the challenges when we lose somebody is being able to differentiate what is a normal response. And obviously, the way we lose people varies. Our expectations and our relationship with the person we lost is very difficult. But clearly, when we lose somebody, we can experience a constellation of symptoms, experiences that look like what we describe as clinical depression. No sleep, loss of appetite, loss of interest, wanting to isolate yourself, poor concentration, unable to focus. And in general, we tend to think of this as a normal phase or part of uh, losing somebody, grief, uh, normal grief, that how you differentiate it in general, uh, it's easier with the extremes. If somebody has any psychotic symptoms like overt hallucinations, and by that, I don't mean I hear him coming in the door at 10 o'clock when he used to always come in, uh, frank hallucinations, profound feelings of guilt. We all experience some guilt when we lose somebody. I wish I would have called. Why didn't I do this? If only I would have shown up. I shouldn't have fought with him or her a week ago. Those are fairly normal feelings, but if it's pervasive, if it's severe, then it's not normal. The more important part of it is the trajectory. When you see somebody with grief, you begin to see some improvement, getting back into life, and this is a very important issue for primary care providers who are seeing people coming in, and I would see them a lot more often. Is is uh, the person able to engage with others? Are they starting to go out with friends? Are they starting to look forward to some things? And when you find that people a few months out are stuck and are not moving, then you better think about depression. Obviously, if you've had a history of severe depression in the past, my threshold for thinking that this could be a depression gets lower because you're, you may be at a higher risk. How about this text
1: question? It says, can depression come from heredity?
2: Absolutely. Uh, we believe that there is a genetic component to depression. Uh, we see that oftentimes when you treat somebody with depression, when you look in their family history, there's a family history of either depression or bipolar depression, bipolar illness, and we unfortunately don't quite know exactly what the genetic makeup is, and we know that there's contributing factors. So there are environmental factors. We know that neglect, uh, abuse, trauma in early life can predispose people to a uh, significant depression we know that loss early on in life might put people at a greater risk uh, for depression and we know that certain medical illnesses and brain injuries can predispose you to depression 651 there's a line open if you like to use it
0: let's go to the phones Chris in Minneapolis is next up go ahead Chris thank you
1: Good morning uh, Good. yes I was wondering um, is there any studies or any known link between depression and acne medications? My daughter has been on acne medication for about uh, four years now, and we're seeing some signs or what we think are early signs of depression. And I've seen some studies uh, uh, that have that have talked a little bit about it, but I haven't been able to find any, any good information on that.
2: Actually, there was a period of time when this kind of rose to uh the top of uh, a lot of people's concern. A number of acne medications were associated with depression and some dermatologists were even reluctant to prescribe some of these at times. Uh, the, the, I think the data suggests that the, the association is not as strong as we thought, but I do worry about it. And remember that uh, kids who are going through adolescence who are struck with a lot of difficulties with severe acne, a lot of times struggled with either being marginalized, being um, not feeling good about themselves and the self-esteem issues become very important regardless of what, what triggers it. So if somebody is, if a youngster or an adult is, who's being treated for, uh, any condition appears to be depressed, I certainly would consider that as one of the possibilities and, and consider discontinuing it under somebody's supervision for a little while to see if it makes an impact. But I don't think it is, um, absolutely Necessary that I would argue that it's caused
1: by it, but I certainly think that's that would be a very reasonable concern. Here are two text questions that are similar. Um, It's about support of someone else who has depression. I'll read them both to you. This one says, "I have a relative suffering from depression. What can I do to support this individual?" So that's the first text, and then the other one is says. my husband has suffered from depression for years but doesn't see that he is depressed. When the subject is brought up, he gets defensive and angry and says others need help, not him. He has all the symptoms you just described. But when in public, he's a very likable person. At home, he's always mad at me. Um, and then uh, it goes on and I've lost the other part of that. Oh, um, he's always mad at me for something I have said to hurt his feelings and he can't get over it. Our adult children see the need but we're afraid to take him in. So supporting another person with depression, supporting your loved one um, who's reluctant to seek help.
2: It's quite a challenge. It is frustrating. It is painful. Uh, I will basically do two things. First is I'll put a plug in for NAMI for the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Um, The National Alliance for Mental Illness has a very active chapter in Minnesota. They have a number of educational programs that are very helpful either for the person or for the family member, and they certainly have support groups for family members who have either been through this or who are in the middle of it. A lot of times, a lot of the most meaningful information comes from others who've been through it. The general things that I would uh, say, which may sound a little bit empty, really are about maintaining your contact with somebody, uh, being able to, um, you know, when people get depressed, they almost hibernate. They want to be left alone. They crawl into the room I think you need to make sure with friends or loved ones that you maintain contact even though it feels like they're pushing you away. Uh, I think it is reasonable to express concern from the standpoint of I'm concerned about you. We're not doing the following things. Um, I uh, miss the days when we used to do this. How are you feeling? And it is difficult at times to have a conversation with somebody who is depressed. You just can't give up on it. And when they say, well, I just feel depressed. I don't want to do anything. Uh, I think it is not unreasonable to, to ask, what can I do? How can I help? But oftentimes people don't have an answer to that. So expressing concern, understanding, uh, when it comes to people just flat out refusing and pushing away, I think then you need to figure out how to keep yourself healthy, how to take care of yourself and your, and your children. And I would, uh, strongly, um, advocate for the use of a support group to help you deal with it.
1: Thanks, Dr. Clone. He mentioned NAMI, um, and AMI. Um, if you go to myhealthymatters.org in the next day or two, I will make sure to put on the link to NAMI so that you can uh, um, you can figure out how to get in touch with that great organization as Very well. Good.
0: As we head to this break, uh, we'll uh, come back and uh, grab the phone calls and text messages with more on this topic. In the Twin City Skies Affair, one below zero here on a 830-WCCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Hennepin County Medical Center's Healthy Matters. We're talking about depression today, taking your phone calls and uh, text messages as well. And, doctors, we do have folks on the line. Let's uh, go back to the phone. Steve is calling from Maple Lake. Steve, the doctors are listening. Go ahead, please.
2: Yeah, hi. I've got a a, a spin on a different thing here. I've I've dealt with depression for quite many, many years. I'm 60 years old, young, I should say. Uh, Back in the Depression, now, uh, when the stock market uh, broke whatever people were jumping out of windows i think uh this is my opinion uh i've had money through the years and uh, i was happy when i when i didn't have money i was depressed guys i think that has a lot to do with it when you've got money i know there's people that are millionaires that are depressed but uh when you've got money i don't think you're as depressed that's that's all hang up and listen
1: thanks steve okay dr clone can money buy you your, your way out of depression I, I would. Argue, that's a, that's my yeah. paraphrase. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I I think money can't buy happiness. It certainly buys convenience. So a lot of times people have a lot more comfort when they have access to a lot of the services and things that sometimes we take for granted. Um, I think there's like you, like the caller mentioned. You can have all the money in the world and still experience about of major depression. There was there's an article in the New Yorker many years ago of a man who basically talked about his successful life. He woke up in the wake of publishing his first very successful book, and he didn't want to live. So in spite of all the success around him, he was profoundly depressed. And this is when people around you don't understand. If you have recurrent major depression, they say, but you have a good family. You have good kids. You have a boat. You have whatever, all these things.
1: And major depression a lot of times does not respect
2: your socioeconomic
1: status. How about a couple more texts um, in the last couple of minutes here? Here's one that says, good morning. I've been on an antidepressant for 10 years with no depression episodes. Would you consider going off the medication?
2: So as we said at the beginning of the show, this is not a uh, personal advice, but I will talk in general about maintenance.
1: Right. We can uh, never give advice to an individual person's medication. Right. But, yeah. right.
2: I think this is a decision that uh, a person needs to make in close coordination with their doctor or their mental health provider. We know that a number of people have one bout of depression and never have it again. Uh, we argue that if somebody's had three episodes of depression, the odds of a recurrence are 95%. So if somebody's had more than two episodes of depression, I recommend or suggest to them that they take the medication indefinitely. At the same time, I think people need to engage in other strategies for managing depression, like either the psychotherapy stuff we talked about or maintenance. If a patient tells me they've been stable for many years and they would like to stop their medication, I, I support them. I have them stop the medication slowly so they don't experience rebound symptoms. And I review with them a lot of uh, what are the early symptoms that, in retrospect. Somebody has a depression that has been severe and has had a major impact in their lives, then I am a lot more cautious about uh, quitting too early. But in general, we like to have somebody for an episode of depression stay on their medications if medication is the treatment for about a year before we consider reduction.
1: Another question um, about medications. I'm taking the maximum dose of Zoloft. Any new meds the last few years? None are working better than 60%, and we're down to our last minute.
2: Yes. So I personally hope in the next 10 years we come up with alternatives that look at other neurotransmitter systems. There are newer antidepressants. Uh, and every antidepressant that comes on the market, of course, advertises a certain variation in their biochemical effect. Uh, I think in general, when somebody has been on a maximum dose of an antidepressant and has tried a few others, that's when we move into issues of
1: combining medications or augmenting them. How about this one? We have time for one more quick one. Can depression cause clumping of the platelets and subsequently heart problems? So
2: we know that people with depression after a heart attack, this is data that has been in the literature for many years now, have higher rates of mortality. Uh, even when you control for the regular risk factors, which include smoking, etc. Uh, the link is not as directly clear. People with depression have alterations in their uh, autonomic nervous system, so their heart does not respond to stress the same way. And there may be changes in clotting that we don't quite uh, – haven't delineated fully yet. By the way, some of the antidepressants have – uh, somewhat of an anti-clotting effect and is something to be mindful of. Oh,
1: well, that's fascinating. I, uh, a little um, medical um, yeah. psychiatric connection. Dr. Eduardo Colon, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure always. It's good to have you on again. We've been talking about depression with Dr. Eduardo Colon, the chief of psychiatry at HCMC. Again, put on your calendars, March 17th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., the open house at our new clinic and specialty center. Go to hcmc.org slash open house for more information. And I will put on some links to depression resources, including NAMI and some pictures of Dr. Cologne on myhealthymatters.org. Look for that in the next few days, myhealthymatters.org.
0: And quickly, a phone number if
1: people need help. If you, um, you can always call us up at 612-873-MYMD. Very good. Stay tuned next for your money here on 830WCCO. Temperature reading
0: one below zero.